0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Sabre Talk Podcast. After a very long hiatus since last spring, I'm going to try to get this started up again. I really enjoyed doing it last year. Uh, It ended up being basically technological issues. I was on the road a lot, um, missed a few games, didn't think it was fair to keep it going at the end of last year. And I've just recently been able to get really back up and going on the technological front. So I appreciate anybody that listened to before. I hope that you enjoyed my analysis looking at the games last year and about anything that happened really. I was trying to do them after every game. I think that also got a little bit grueling trying to fit that in always. So I probably won't do them as frequently as I was doing them then. I'm gonna aim for hopefully once a week. Definitely during the off season once a week or even less. It really depends on what happens. But we're already getting closer to training camp starting up and Really, the team starting to take its form. In this podcast, I have a lot to talk about because I haven't had one all off season. Uh, so there's no shortage of things to talk about now. But what really happens on a week to week basis during the off season? It can be pretty quiet, especially after we've gotten past the draft, past July 1st. That's when you could have had one probably every day or every other day and had something to talk about. Had plenty to talk about because there are just so many moves coming up and so much to analyze and really a lot of really a lot of debate going on. I do apologize before I get into talking about anything. I'm in a hotel room and there's a pretty uh pretty loud group of people looked about my age probably but partying pretty hard. So I don't know if any of that's going to come through on the mic. I don't think it will. I was testing it out before, but they are yelling pretty loud so just to just to warn you just to apologize in advance they're, they're pretty lucky that they're next to me because i think anybody else would have would have complained by now if they were going to be in their rooms but i i don't really care and i hope i hope it doesn't affect the quality of this podcast so one of the biggest topics right now is line combinations and and where are we going to be heading into 2016 2017 obviously the roster isn't completely set yet there are also some things that we're really not going to know until training camp starts basically is is Alex Nylander is he going to get a chance to make the team is he going to get a chance to play nine games we don't know where he's going to play yet he did sign his entry level deal but that really doesn't mean anything because he could could go back to the O he could go over to Sweden kind of like his brother did or he could be in the AHL and I don't really know necessarily what the best route is for his development I think Sweden may make the most sense because he would be playing against men, but it's not quite the rough-and-tumble league like the AHL where a young kind of phenom prospect can be a target down there. There are a lot of career career AHLers. There's a lot of goonery that happens. There's also grueling bus rides and th- three games and three nights on a lot of weekends. They play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, and don't play any games all week. And that's, that, that could probably be tough for an 18-, 19-year-old to really adjust to. The Sabres have had some success with, that's what Zemgus Gergensens did. He came straight to play in the AHL rather than go to college and play at Vermont. And Ristolainen also came into the AHL and played in the AHL and NHL in his, in his first post-draft season. So the Sabres have done that before. I've put 18-year-olds in the AHL. But also both of those guys were bigger and probably had more more NHL ready bodies. Not that not that Nylander is tiny or anything, but he is still slight and I'm sure he still will fill out. But we'll see. I I can't really say there's a there's a right answer right now as to what to do with him. But we're gonna have to see how he does in camp. See if he even see if he impresses enough to get a nine game look and to get a tryout look with the team. And there are top six spots available for somebody to win. It it's looking more and more like VZ's not gonna sign with the Sabres. Obviously, we're not going to know that until August 15th, until he actually makes the decision. And I still do think the Sabres have as good a chance as anyone to sign him, but I wouldn't count on it at this point. Having the best chance out of 30 teams to sign someone, it could still be you know, a 20% chance to, to, to bring him in. So I'm not counting on him filling a top-six spot this year and even if even if he is signed it's not guaranteed that he's going to win a top six spot I know that they would say in negotiations that you're going to have every opportunity to win a top six spot but you really don't know until you get into camp and see how he adjusts and who he finds chemistry with and all that so even if VZ comes in there still are top six spots available you have Tyler Ennis coming back who had had a couple very good seasons prior to the last one uh 2015-2016 was very disappointing for him, injury plagued, but we don't really know what he's going to come back and look like and how fragile he's going to be if he's still going to have lingering concussion issues because you've seen it with player after player after player in the NHL. That's a very tough bug to get off your back, and it's really an unknown. There have been plenty of guys that have come back from having major concussion issues and have gone on to have long careers, but there have been plenty of guys that were never the same after having multiple concussions like Ennis had, and it's scary how long he was out last year with that last concussion that he had Uh, so he's a question mark he's going to obviously be in the mix to win a top six spot he's shown that he can he can produce a solid level of offense what you would expect out of a top six offense first winger he's shown he can produce that but we don't know what he's going to be if he's going to be healthy and if he is healthy how long he's going to stay healthy so he's a question mark you also don't know where Zemgis Gurgens is going to fit into the, into the lineup. Uh, he could be a, a top six guy. They could look at him as as being a, a third line stud. Also with the Evander Kane issues, he can fit into the top six. But I actually think that he fits best on a third line if you can have enough top six wingers to fill out your top two lines and have Evander Kane playing on the third line with somebody like a like a Johan Larson at center. And I don't know who would be who would be the right wing on the other side, but I would prefer him in that role because I think he's going to get his fifteen to twenty goals, play his game no matter what line he's on. And if anything, he can detract sometimes from the really skilled players on the top two lines, especially as our as these top two lines get get more and more skilled, which they're getting with another year of progression from from Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart, and with O'Reilly coming into his second season as a Saber, and then the addition of Kyle Okposo. Those top two lines are only getting more and more talented, so I think the best spot for Kane is on the third line. There's also less pressure on him offensively. He can go out and play his, play his banging game, and he can he can forecheck, and he's going to find a way to get his 15 to 20 goals with how many shots he gets on goal, and it's regardless of, of what line he plays on. So back to Nylander, there's going to be a spot to win for him if he comes in and impresses. I would prefer for that not to happen. Uh, I think... The Sabers aren't going to win a cup this year. They're they're going to be a they're going to be a playoff contender. They're going to be in the mix to to be one of the lower seeds making it into the playoffs. They certainly have the talent to make the playoffs, but I would prefer just looking ahead into the future to have that entry level contract for another three seasons. Say that he impresses enough to, to almost make the team or to be right on the borderline of making the team. It would be best to have him maybe just get his tryout and go back to the O. Go down to the AHL, even go over to Sweden, and then have three more seasons after this one with that entry level deal. Because it's gonna be it's gonna be important to have cheap contracts with this team with the contract issues they're going to have because they're going to have to resign Eichel and Reinhardt right now. They're still on their ent- entry level deals, making very little. So when you re sign them and you've got a lot of money tied up in, in O'Reilly in Arposo, and Okposo, you, and you have the Matt Molson contract going for another year beyond when Reinhardt and Eichel need to be locked up. So they're going to have they're to probably be eating some money there unless Molson magically retires, but I don't see that happening when he's making uh, whatever he's going to be. I think he's making $3 million in that last year, but I'd be surprised if he didn't play out that year or you know, give the impression he's going to play out that year so he can get bought out and basically get a free payday rather than retire. I don't blame him for doing that. I mean, I think anybody would do that in, in his shoes. Uh, so you're going to have a lot of tough contract decisions to make. Tyler Ennis, too, if, if he comes back this year and isn't the same, his, his contract runs through that same season that Molson's does as well. So you may have a decision where you might have to think about buying out Tyler Ennis. So there are going to be contract issues with this team, and they're going to have to make choices. You know, You're probably going to see Evander Kane, if they don't trade him before his contract is up, at the end of uh, 2017-2018 or maybe they could leave him exposed in the in the expansion draft it really depends on what happens I think with both his play on the ice but more importantly his off-ice issues and I don't know if I'm going to go more into that but you'll probably see him walk if he's still around going into the 2018 offseason because they're going to need that cap space and they're also going to have to make a decision on Robin Leonard and how much money they want to tie up in the goaltender position but all that being said they're gonna they're gonna need cheap entry level deals for players to fill roles, and having Neilander on that entry level deal as long as possible would be ideal. Now, I I don't want them to keep him. I don't necessarily want them to go the De, the Detroit Red Wings route, where or the the classical Red Wings route, where they keep players in the minors forever until basically their their hand is forced to bring them up. They they went away from that. Quite a bit, you know, letting letting Dylan Larkin play in the NHL, but that's rare for them, and the Sabers have typically been more aggressive with their with their prospects. But I would like to see them kind of play that line, be somewhere in the middle. so Don't be super aggressive, and if Nylander looks close to being ready to throw him into it this year, but then also don't you know don't have him go back to the O for the next two seasons because he's going to be above that by, you know, he he may already already be above the O. You could have him go back to Sweden for a couple years, but you need to toe that line basically and play it somewhere in the middle. I don't want them to be on one of the extremes either way, and that's really what got them into trouble with guys like, like Mikhail Grigorenko and Nikita Zdorov. They were super aggressive, ultra aggressive, trying to fill roles with those prospects at the NHL level too soon before they were ready and starting the clock on their entry-level deals too soon. So that Grigorenko, you know, their, their hand would have been forced if he stayed here where he couldn't be sent down to the to the minors anymore without going through waivers. Of course, he ended up being included in the, in the Ryan O'Reilly deal, so it ended up being moot. But, and Zdorov ended up being included in that trade as well. But they've historically been pretty aggressive with their prospects, and historically talking about within the last five to seven years. Before that, they were known for being pretty stingy with their prospects and probably being more on the other side, I think more as a, as a money-saving Thing So basically, waiting as long as possible to bring prospects up. It delays their entry-level contract starting. You have team control of them for longer. Um, also, I think it was just poor drafting where they didn't have a lot of guys that were knocking on the door to, to get to the NHL at 18 or 19 years old. They just they did not draft well enough. They also were drafting typically toward the you know in the in the middle of rounds. They they picked thirteenth a bunch of times and a lot of times in that like ten to ten to twenty range where they either barely squeaked into the playoffs or barely missed it. So they didn't have a ton of prospects that were knocking on the door. But I'd like to see them toe the line, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nealander because there are just so many options. Really, any of those, any playing in any of those four leagues, I, I could see happening. So. Um, the only contracts the Sabres have left, I want to talk a little bit about kind of their cap situation. And I know coming into this off season, they had quite a bit of room. And so not many people are thinking about that yet, but it already is becoming an issue. They're not going to be up against it this year necessarily, but it's not like they can go out and, and spend whatever they want. And right now where they stand, I I would love to see them add another defenseman because right now, Unless, uh, unless unless, Brendan Gooley comes in and has a hell of a camp and makes the team, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't think he was that head and shoulders above everybody else at, at development camp to do that. I would much rather see him go back to juniors next year and then hopefully come in come in, in uh, 2017, 2018 and fight for a spot. Ideally go to the AHL. Hopefully they'll have the defensive depth where he could go to the AHL, but I don't want to see them be too ultra-aggressive with him. I know that he's the, he's the top defensive prospect in the system really by quite a bit there's not really anybody close to him in terms of defensive prospects in this pool and defense at the NHL level is still weak at least relative to the forwards really relative to every other area on the team so it's tempting to want to push your top defensive prospect to be in the NHL but I don't really want to see that but barring that it looks like their seventh defenseman right now would be somebody like Justin Falk who ideally would be playing down in the ahl and would be one of your top call-ups in the ahl be a be a veteran influence down there that would be ideal and that would be them bringing in another defenseman to be in the top seven maybe you know maybe to be the seventh maybe not be in the top six but to have somebody else to come in and be in the mix and i've i've advocated for dennis seidenberg i think i think he would be a great fit, depending on what his cost is. And I I don't know if he's a top four guy anymore. I I I really don't think he is a top four player anymore. But at least you have somebody I think if if Jake McCabe goes through kind of a funk again, considering this is only his second full year in the NHL, I think you've still got to expect those ups and downs with him. And I like his upside long term. And I thought the contract that they re signed him to was fantastic, getting him locked up at a one point six million cap hit over the next three years. I I really liked that deal, and I and I like McCabe long term. But relying on him as your number four defenseman, as one of your most important cogs on the back end, I think it's a recipe for disaster. So to have kind of a kind of an insurance policy against that, I think somebody like Seidenberg would be perfect. He's he's not flashy, not ideal. Uh, obviously, you're not going to find a perfect top four defenseman out on the market right now on the cheap. Uh, I do like Chris Russell too. I don't know what his cost is. I don't know really why he's still out there, but I would welcome him if if the if the cost was right, but I have to think he's still looking for a for a 3 to 4 year deal at the very least with decent money and maybe honestly I'm not I'm not sure. I thought like 4 4 by 4 so f- a 4 year $16 million deal would have been his target coming into the off season. I don't know what it is though. I haven't really heard much on what his price is, and I don't know if it's if his asking price is what's keeping him from signing somewhere, and if he's just waiting for an injury or for a hole to open up somewhere where they're going to be willing to pay his asking price. I'm not really sure what's happening there, uh, and I should probably do a little bit more reading on on what's happening with him. That would obviously be great. He's an experienced top-four guy, and I think that he he would be somebody you could rely on as your number four and let Jake McCabe play lower-pressure minutes on a third pairing and see how he grows this year. And you've still got two more years with him under contract, and you've got to think by next year, so by 2017, 2018, he's ready to step into a number four role, looking at really how he finished the season last year and looking at all his highs and maybe not thinking quite as much about his lows, which he did have some very bad stretches where he was – throwing the puck away and getting himself out of position. And I think Bogosian wasn't the perfect partner for him. It's another concern I have is those two coming into the season looking like they're going to play together again, unless there's another addition. Those two don't complement each other great because neither of them, neither of them necessarily think position first. They're, they both rely on their athleticism, and they're both aggressive. And neither of them are relying on their positional smarts in order to be effective NHL defensemen. They're both fantastic athletes, but you put two of those types of guys together, and if they're both kind of in a funk or not feeling it at the same time, it can be a disaster. And that's what we saw last year. So that's what I worry about, those two being being together consistently going into next year. I just I worry about that. And you do have Josh Georges, but I would really ideally not want to see him play in a top four capacity this year. Doesn't bring anything offensively. He does block shots, and I like the guy a lot. I like him a lot. But he's not somebody that should be playing top four minutes at the NHL level, barring injury. But right now, he's really that insurance option. And if he moved up and played with Bogosian, I think they complement each other relatively well. Georges is somebody that kind of relies on his positional smarts. He's, he's not a great skater. Like I said, doesn't bring much offense really he relies on his experience and his, and his know-how to, to get around and to be an effective NHL defenseman. But then you bump down Jake McCabe to playing with Cody Franson on the third pairing, and those two don't complement each other well either. And, yeah, yeah, you can give him low-pressure minutes, and that that would probably be the only option right now if McCabe really was to struggle. But I don't want that to be the only other option. So ideally they can bring somebody else in, for maybe two, you know, a one-year, $2 million deal, something like that. Maybe Seidenberg's willing to take that. There should be some veteran, kind of number five-type defensemen still out there that kind of get lost in the musical chair game. That would be ideal. Now, I shouldn't have gone into that first when talking about cap space because the the biggest thing that's going to eat up cap space is re-signing Rasmus Ristolainen, and I'm hoping that it'll be about a $6 million per year average and maybe even less he doesn't have a ton of leverage Uh, no other team is going to sign him to an offer sheet because the Sabres have the cap space to match they're not hamstrung by a potential deal there they're no longer the team that can get scared away with huge upfront salaries I mean you look at what they did with the Kylock postal contract and how much of that was upfront money having Terry Pagula as your owner takes away so many of the stresses that the Sabres had going into off seasons in the past where for example when uh when Edmonton tried to sign Thomas Vanek to the offer sheet uh where of course we can sit now and wonder what would have happened had they not decided to match and had taken the four first round picks from Edmonton but what they did was they loaded a bunch of the money up front because the Sabres didn't have a rich owner at that point they had an owner that was going to think long and hard about do i want to pay thomas vanek this much money up front in his deal and ultimately they matched it but it made it very difficult to compete for both free agents because free agents they're going to be looking at time value money and more money sooner is going to be more valuable than the same amount of money spread out long term which is what the Sabers would have preferred to do in the past but now the Sabers are able to play that game that the that the big market teams could play and they can front load money so you've got to think a wristline contract—that's what the Sabers will do on a contract with him. That's what they'll do with everybody's contract because for pagul this is kind of a—it's kind of a hobby. I mean, you look at the sums of money and you think, how could it possibly be a hobby? It's not like he wants to come out and lose fifty million dollars on the Sabers. But if he loses—if he loses a bit of money, oh well. He really doesn't care. It's all about winning a Stanley Cup and kind of building this brand that he has in Buffalo. And losses aren't ultimately a big deal for him with the kind of money that he has. One of the richest owners in pro sports. So Ristolainen doesn't really have that same leverage because he, the Sabres are going to match any deal that anybody signs him to, unless somebody signed him to a ridiculous deal where the Sabres would be getting four first-round picks in the future, and maybe they'd have to think about taking that, depending on who the team was. Uh, but any team, any contender, isn't going to, going to have the cap space probably to sign line into that type of deal. And any other team, you've got to think your chances are pretty good to get some elite prospects. If somebody wants to go and sign him to an $8 million a year, a year deal, Sabres would have to think long and hard about that. But I don't see it happening either way. The, the, the Sabres just aren't a target. If you want to target somebody, you go and you target Hampus Lindholm, and he's better than Ristolainen. And if you front-load money to a, in a Hampus Lindholm offer sheet and you target him and you pay him enough – the Ducks may have to walk away due to their internal budget and the money they already have locked up, and they have a lot of other young young up-and-coming defensemen. You would target somebody like that, not Rasmus Ristelainen. So I'm not really worried about coming to a fair deal, and I think it's going to be somewhere in that five and a half to $6 million range long-term, uh, hopefully buying out some some unrestricted free agent years. I would have to think they're going to buy out some unrestricted free agent years, but maybe a 6 by 6 or 6 by five and a half million dollar deal which i think would be pretty fair looking at 33 to 36 million dollars over that six-year term that's what i'm expecting there but right now the sabers and i have so i have a i have a spreadsheet uh just kind of listing who right now i think would make the team and i do have cody mccormick's cap hit included in there he's not going to play this year they're going to let him play out that deal if they need to they can they can put him on long-term injured reserve. I don't know if they're going to need to do that. It's going to probably depend on if Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart hit a lot of their bonuses. Um, it depends on who else they bring in, all that, all that type of stuff. Uh, but I have him included here, so I actually have an extra player above and beyond what the roster would hold. But uh, I have Cal O'Reilly and Cole Schneider as the 13th and 14th forwards. And then... I do believe the Sabres are gonna bring in a, a free agent fourth line center. They may bring David Leguan back on, you know, a vet minimum type of deal under a million dollars. He he was pretty effective in that role. I liked what he brought. Obviously, not at the salary that he was paid last year. He was really just a throw in in that Leonard deal, where the Sabres, once again, with the Pagula Bucks, were able to just eat his contract basically. And he did play he did play a role and he wasn't just dead weight. He was certainly not worth the salary he was paid, and he's still out there. He's one of these vet-free agents that's, that's still out there. That's probably, It looks like, based on what happened last year, you're going to see more and more of these veterans having to come into camps on PTOs, professional tryout offers, and hopefully win a role. There were quite a few relatively highly, I mean, not highly touted, but guys that were still effective NHLers that had to do that last year in order to win a job. So I can see the Sabres going that route. It would be a cheap way to fill the fourth-line center role. There's not really somebody that fits that well on the roster right now unless you want to put Sam Reinhardt or Zemgus Gergensen at center and then have Johan Larson be your fourth-line center. But I don't think that's ideal. I would like to see, obviously depending on what other moves they make, but I would rather see Reinhardt and Gergensen stay on the wing this year and have your top three centers be Eichel, O'Reilly, and Larson. That's what I would like to see and bring someone else in as as the fourth-line center. It also depends on how Bilesma wants to roll his four lines this year. He didn't use the fourth line much last year. Obviously, that had to do with it being kind of a an Island of Misfit Toys type of fourth line where you had Matt Molson playing down there a lot. It was kind of just people that didn't fit anywhere else in the lineup. Leguan was a steady influence there. DeLaurier played a lot on the fourth line, but he also played up the lineup quite a bit, which I'm really hoping does not happen again this year. But it'll depend on how – how Bilesma wants to use his lines too but I can't see the fourth line be getting significantly more ice time than they received last year I can't see them getting more than you know eight minutes of even strength ice time a game if, if they were up in the 10 range maybe you could think of having Johan Larson as as the fourth line center but I think he's so effective in in his third line role and I think that with the young team you're going to be able to to lean on your top three lines and you're not going to have to you're not going to have to play your fourth line that much. So Rasmus Ristolainen, he's going to eat up most of the remaining cap space. And with the roster I have right now, I have them at uh, about $63.4 million. And that's not including any bonuses to Eichel and Reinhardt. That's including Cody McCormick's salary. And, you know, He's going to go on IR right away. He'll go on long-term injured reserve if necessary. If, they need, if somebody else goes on IR, they need to call up somebody and they would exceed the cap. They can move him to long-term injured reserve whenever they want. And I have Justin Falk as the seventh defenseman. Obviously no salary to Ristolainen or to Zemgis Girgensons. And I don't know what kind of contract Girgensons is going to come to. I know I already talked about Ristolainen's, and Girgensons is the only other notable free agent still out there. So they gave both... Larson and Felino, one year deals, basically prove it deals. Come back and show us next year that you can play again like you did last year because they really, you could argue they were the most important line for the Sabres down the stretch. It would be a tough argument because you obviously have to think that the Sabres offensive lines were more important, but those lines were playing tough. That line was playing tough competition. It was Felino, Larson, and Gianta. That line was playing tough competition. And they were facing off against the opponent's top lines on a lot of nights. Uh, so they were super important, but both Larson and Felino got prove-it deals. So Larson got $950,000, and Foligno's coming back on the same salary he made last year, $2.25 And they're both going to be restricted free agents next year. But basically, one year, come back and show us what you're made of. And Gurgenson's would be a little bit different because he basically underwhelmed last year especially in terms of offensive expectations he didn't really find his niche in the lineup he actually was a lot more productive than you would think looking at the numbers based on even strength five for five uh, even strength five on five goals for he did quite well I believe he led the team in that statistic uh, so it's not as bad as just looking at his line looking at his final stats for the year he, he produced more than that would indicate but at the same time he certainly didn't live up to, to most people's expectations for him. He was really the offensive darling of the organization up until last off season, And that's when you have Reinhardt coming into the NHL level. Um, you draft Eichel, you bring in Ryan O'Reilly, and he kind of gets pushed down the totem pole. So I could see for both sides it making sense doing a one-year deal. And I don't know what his salary would look like. I, I would have to think it would probably be somewhere in that Felino range, somewhere in the low twos, uh, if you were going to do a one-year deal and then see what he does this year, and then they can make a decision on him next year. You know, did he play his way into a lucrative, longer-term deal? Or is he somebody that you may look to trade to get more cap flexibility, maybe to address some issues on defense? Because I'm assuming the defense is going to be an issue yet again, at least a much bigger issue than the forwards will be. So if I had to guess, I would guess that the two of them combined would end up between 8 and $8.5 and uh, and that would eat up. That would eat up most of the remaining cap space. And then if you if you bring in somebody like a uh you know a defenseman on a one and a half to two million dollar deal, that eats up almost all of the cap space. And now you're you're teetering at about, um, right about at that cap level. So you'd probably be looking at Cody McCormick being on long term injury reserve for all or most of the season, in order to fill his spot Uh, so you can exceed the cap by that amount when you put him on long-term injured reserve temporarily at least but he would be on LTIR for the whole season if they if they needed him to be so that's where they stand right now they don't have a ton of flexibility that's why it's going to be just a couple of of kind of depth options I think that they bring in unless they make some sort of trade and clear some clear some space but I don't really see anybody making sense and I talked about Matt Molson and Tyler Ennis before I don't see either of them making sense to trade Ennis his value is the lowest it's ever been unless obviously if somebody's willing to take those contracts on then you'd be willing to move them but that's not going to happen you're going to be taking on a bad contract in return probably taking on equal salary or close to it in return because both of them have another three years they have this year two more years after this Left on their contracts. So teams aren't going to just take those deals. And I mean, you could see a hockey trade to bring in uh, another left handed defenseman. You could see that. I don't really know what deal is out there. A Kane probably would have made the most sense of somebody to dangle in that type of deal. But now his trade value is probably the lowest it's ever been. And I don't know how many teams would claim him on waivers right now. So I think that you're kind of stuck with him going into next year. And I like a lot. I like what he brings on the ice quite a bit. So, I'm not mad about that. I don't want them to go out and trade him for pennies on the dollar. Despite what he's done, despite his issues, I'd I'd like to see him come out and come out and prove the haters wrong and stay out of trouble this year and next year and play his way into another big deal. And of course, like I said, I think the Sabres will have to let him walk. And I don't want to get too much into the details of his situation because I like more talking about the hockey and the, and the numbers side of things rather than the off-the-ice type of issues. But uh, I don't see him moving now. And you know, Gergensen's, I talked about him maybe being a future trade chip. His value is is lower than I expect it to be. I expect him to come in and find more of a niche, niche this year, find his spot in the lineup and to have a better year, and hopefully his value's higher next year. Next year, you could think about about moving him but there's just not really a a hockey trade that makes sense after already using all the picks that they had in the draft doing something around picks and maybe some of the the players on the roster would have made more sense but I don't see that happening now so I think it's just going to be a couple depth signings and re-signing Gergensen's wrist line and that's going to be the team coming into next year but that team will be right up against the cap so there will be flexibility there are, they're going to have to figure out how to gain flexibility throughout the year. And I talked about LTIR, but also maybe not carrying a full roster, maybe having only 13 forwards and seven defensemen. That's a possibility, too, to gain a little wiggle room. So that should be interesting. I do want to talk a little bit about the Akposo signing, what I thought of that. Biggest free agent signing in Sabres history. And looking at the list of players the Sabres have signed as free agents, it's pretty uh pretty dismal you know you're looking at yarrow spot and tepo newmanin as being close to the top of the list and christian Eroff for what he brought if the rules hadn't been changed on on the nhl teams after that contract was signed it still would have been uh, a good deal but with the whole recapture penalty and all that you had to you had to buy him out the way the sabers did it ended up being the right decision and i was kind of on the fence about it when it happened but that turned out to be the right decision but at, at that point that looked like it was going to be the best free agent signing in Sabres history and with the rules changing of course that wasn't really able that wasn't able to come to fruition but Vili Lano huge bust obviously a bunch of backup goalies that they never re- were able to were able to rely on that's that's really the extent of their free agent signings so getting somebody like Kyle Ocposo, who was you know, after Steven Stamkos was signed, he was, he was the prime forward available on the free agent market. And he got comparable salaries to the other top forwards out there. But I think he's younger. More importantly, he's better than those other guys that got these long six- and seven-year deals at $6 million a year. And you just look at the other deals that were signed coming into this free agent period. That Ocposo deal looks great. And I was shying away. I didn't really want the Sabres to go after Ocposo because I thought he was going to cost seven, seven and a half million a year, but to be able to get him at six million a year, and for what he brings, he's a consistent offensive threat. Obviously, not not great on the defensive side of the puck, not you know not a complete liability either. But he's not he's not going to win a selkie, and he's been able to do it both with Tavares and away from him, and that's what a lot of people reflexively say is, oh. Ocposo was putting up points because he was playing with Tavares. But he was, I mean, he really wasn't last year. And he still put up numbers like he did the previous two seasons. He played with Franz Nielsen most of the year. Franz Nielsen got paid. So what people should be saying is I think Kyle Ocposo helped Franz Nielsen get himself to a big payday with the Detroit Red Wings, who, by the way, I don't know what they're doing in Detroit. And I follow them closer because my wife is a Detroit fan. They have had a horrendous offseason. It was great to get rid of Pavel Datsuk's contract. That was a nice trade, and to be able to have Arizona do that, basically, they basically took it on for, for nothing because you could have probably made that trade or very close to it for just the pick swaps. Just It was a 20-53, and 53, I believe, for number 16. That could have happened without Datsuk being included. So, I mean, that was nice to get rid of him, and everybody thought they were gearing up to make a run at Stamkos, and for all... For all we know, they they made a pitch to Stamkos and they were offering to to pay him plenty, but he ended up going back to Tampa. But they still spent the money anyways, and they spent it bringing back an injured Darren Helm on a long term deal. He's not injured now, and oft injured. And I like what Helm brings a lot. And you know, I would have even been interested in the Sabers taking a look at him, but not not committing to him for that many years and for that much money. I believe it was. Five years, three point eight five million. It was either four or five years. I remember the three point eight five million being his cap hit. And cap hit isn't really the issue, but committing to him for that long, you can't do that in the cap in the cap world anymore. That's how teams get themselves into trouble by committing to your complementary players for that long and for that much money. That's what you're seeing Montreal getting itself into. They're committing a lot of money to their their non-core pieces, and that's what I hope the Sabers don't do. You need to keep your core together. Do what Chicago has done, and you cycle through those complementary players. But they gave Darren Helm that much money, and they gave Franz Nielsen, another guy who I like a lot, and these are both players that I like. But they gave him a ton of money as well—five, five point two five million cap hit, I believe, over five or six years. I hope it wasn't seven. I forget. I'm I forget exactly what it was because that was already three weeks ago when when um those contracts were signed. But I don't know what they're what they're doing, committing to, to contracts like that for guys really at the peak of their value. And you're, you're committing to complementary players, to non-core pieces, and it's going to make it that much harder to, to lock up your core guys when the time comes to do that. So I'm hoping the Sabres don't go down that path. And Ken Holland, I think he's, he, he's one of the worst GMs in the league, if not the worst GM in the league. Uh, he's definitely bottom five for me. Jim Benning is is pretty bad, uh, and he's definitely he he's probably the worst trading GM, Jim Benning. But in terms of overall, you can make a pretty good argument for for Ken Holland being the worst GM in the National Hockey League. I don't want to get too deep into into Detroit, but just tr- kind of using them as an example of I, I I don't want to go down that path and what they've done it's just commit a ton of money to, to complimentary players. It is good for the Sabres though, considering Detroit is in their division. They are a storied franchise and uh, you know they they've been they've been one of the top teams in the division since the division started, since since the realignment when Detroit came over to the east and was put into this division. But I can't see them really being being a threat long term. Anyways, back to what I really was talking about was the Ocposo contract. I like it a lot and I think he can be a core piece. He is going to be a core piece here. He's not going to be a core piece quite on the level of an Eichel or an O'Reilly or a Reinhardt or a Ristolainen, but I think you can add him into into those five as being the core, and that's who you want to keep together. And obviously Eichel and Reinhardt are going to get paid when their contracts come up. are probably already going to get paid this off season. I can't see them doing some sort of bridge deal or anything with him. I I really can't see it happening. I think they're going to try to get something long-term done now, and I think that's why it's taken so long. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure what he wants, but I would like to think that he also wants the security that a long-term deal can bring, assuming that he gets paid a a fair level, you know, a fair amount for for basically giving up a contract. Say if he was to hit unrestricted free agency as soon as he could, the type of contract he could get then you need to it needs to be fair, obviously. But I think those are, your, those are your five core guys, and everybody else is kind of they're the compliments to that core. But to have Kyle Posto be part of that core, be locked up at $6 million a year over the next seven years, cap hit-wise, obviously not. He, he, he's being paid much more up front in, in terms of signing bonus money. But I liked it a lot and typically I don't like going out and signing one of the top free agents. It tends to blow up in your face, and maybe this could too, but I think he's he's right in his prime, and he's younger than the than the typical unrestricted free agent, and I think that he's brought a high level of offense, been one of the top offensive forwards in the NHL, top 20, top 30, uh, in terms of, of bringing even strength offense, and he's doing it in, a, in an era when offense is tough to come by very valuable that's the most i think that's the most valuable asset out there is being able to consistently produce offense you can say what you want about defense winning championships and obviously being in the Sabres' shoes right now where defense is such an issue we do value defense quite highly in terms of us as as buffalo Sabres fans but the most valuable asset out there it's not goaltending um it's consistent offense. It's it's being able to bring offense at a high level, and maybe number one shutdown defenseman are the rarest commodity to find out there. So if you're looking at like the actual position on the team, you'd look at like number one defenseman, number one center, number one defenseman might be the most valuable thing out there, a rock that you can lean on on your defense. But in terms of more conceptually, what's the most valuable statistic out there? I think it would be consistently producing offense and that's what Kyle Poso brings and the Sabres winger group there's a lot of talent there but it's still it's still a work in progress and you have Reinhardt on the wing now and he, you know he was on the wing for the vast majority of, of last year that helped a lot helped add a, a high level winger to the mix he was the best winger on the team last year but bringing in Kyle Poso someone who's been there done that still in his prime and it's hopefully gonna be able to bring that high level of play for the next four or five years, right in the Sabers' window. Then I like it a lot. And then you've got a lot of other kind of question marks beyond those two. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I should, what else I should discuss. Obviously, a lot from, um, a lot from the draft and a lot from free agency. I don't want to get too. I will talk about Jimmy VZ a little bit. Uh, I know I'd mentioned him before, but basically, I don't think VZ is going to sign here. I I think that the Sabres have as good a, good of a chance as anyone else, but they're not going to be able to reel him in. I would I would take the field versus the Sabres. Basically, I'd probably take it two to one odds. That would place, I believe, the Sabres' chances are less than one in three to get to get Jimmy VC. Um, and. There's no problem with that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna roast Tim Murray about deciding to trade a third-round pick to to really make a pitch and to take a chance at somebody like that. I I have no issues with the trade. Uh, like it's it's a third-round pick. How often do those guys turn into a prospect like Jimmy Veezy? Very rarely. And if you look at Sabres history, aren't too many instances of that happening? The Sabres actually may have hit more on later picks than other franchises have. If you look at guys like Brian Campbell. Ryan Miller um Sabres may have a better track record than other teams with picks in the third round and later but the chances are stacked highly against you so I have no problem with with taking that chance to 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 try go give your pitch to him and and see what happens but I would not expect him to be here and we shouldn't have a problem with that I think I'd like I'd like to have a GM that's willing to take some risks every now and then you know I don't want him to to be Taking risks with every single trade that he makes to constantly be throwing picks away in uh, these kind of—I don't want to say black swan events—but that's kind of what it, what it kind of what it reminds me of in the financial world of of you know taking a bet that there's going to be extreme volatility and you you're going to have a bunch of losses before you have a big win. He could have that kind of strategy, but I think it's tough, kind of with a limited number of picks and everything, uh, to always operate like that. But I have no problem with with throwing a dart at the wall every once in a while and saying, you know what, this is a calculated risk. We know it's a risk. We may come out of it with nothing, but it's it's worth taking that chance. I'd much rather have a GM that's that's willing to have that kind of mindset than the other way where basically if there's no guarantee, we're not going to make the trade. I think that's a bad way to operate an NHL franchise. So I'm – I'm happy with the trade. Obviously, if they get VZ, I'll be very happy if they're able to sign him. It looks like he's going to keep his promise and go out to August 15th and see what other teams have to say. And, you know, maybe the Sabres having this a month and a half or so of time to, to be able to really make their pitch and Eichel can make his pitch. You know, maybe he'll go out and see what else is out there and decide, I want to. I want to go to the team that's been talking to me the longest. I wanna I I wanna to go to the Sabres. It's very possible that could happen, but I wouldn't bet on it at this point. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it even with decent odds in my favor. So that's really all I'll say about that situation. Won't really get into the details about uh, you know, his his family and and all the stuff that's that's come out about um, him not wanting to go to Boston. They're his dad working for Toronto. There, there's a lot of juice out there in that story, but I think ultimately I want to look at it as what was the decision the Sabres made and how should we evaluate that decision. And if VZ signs, then I'll be willing to talk about where he places into the lineup, but I don't want to take that for granted at all. Like what I said about Alex Nylander earlier, though, it would be fantastic to have another young, talented asset on an entry-level deal coming, uh, coming in, somebody like VZ. Because it's going to help bridge that gap where once they pay Eichel and Reinhardt, you're going to have to make tough decisions on other players. But to have cheap, cheap entry-level deals, to be able to fill in those roles of some guys you may have to let walk in free agency. You may have to trade because you can't keep everybody together when you're paying stud players a lot of money and you just look at really any of the any of the top teams out there and and, and they've had to do that. You look at Chicago as the prime example, but LA's had to do the same thing with them consistently being good and them having to lock up their core. They've had to cycle players out, they've had cap issues, they've had to run with a a minimal roster with just 12 forwards and 6 defensemen and two goaltenders. They've had to they've had to do that. I don't want the Sabres to get to that point. I think LA you can look at them making a lot of Bad decisions with the cap. You can look at uh, not deciding to use a compliance buyout on Mike Richards. They ended up lucking out due to his drug issues, drug running across the border, bringing drugs across the border. They were able to get out of his contract, but that was kind of lucky for them. Kind of lucky that that Mike Richards made a made a big mistake like that, and that they were able to void the rest of his deal. But they, made a lot of, they made a lot of mistakes, and uh, it, it led them to having more issues, I think, than Chicago has had. And Chicago has been much smarter with the cap, and they've been able to get good returns when they've traded their complementary players. And a lot of their complementary players have gone out to be stars on other teams, or to be top players on other teams. You can look at Andrew Ladd was one of those casualties. He just got paid a ton of money by the Islanders looking to replace Kyle Ocposo. Dustin Bufflin, who got locked up for a long time by Winnipeg. Uh, Brandon Saad, who's a great player in, in Columbus. A lot of guys have, have been cap casualties from, from that team, and I think that's what's going to happen with the Sabres, assuming that things go as planned. And going as planned would be Eichel and Reinhardt both developing into top-flight NHL forwards. and You've got to pay those players uh, and to have... O'Reilly continuing to be a COG, which I don't see any reason to doubt that happening. Poso fitting right in as a member of the core, and Ristol getting locked up long term. So you're going to see those tough decisions happening, and I always try to look at things from that lens. Look at both what's happening in the here and now, but how it's going to affect us one, two, three years down the line. So I think that's enough for the first episode back. It's an extensive one, but I'm going to try to do this, like I said, every week week or so Um, it's not going to be uh you know given every sunday i'm going to come out with this but i'm trying to do as much as possible anytime big news happens anytime i have anything to say or any strong opinion or topic that i think uh deserves deserves to be discussed i'll hopefully do this i do want to say like i've always said on this podcast before but if you if if anybody out there has any recommendations on how to better conduct the show if anybody wants to be a guest host uh, if anybody has any questions, topics they'd like me to address, really anything, I would love I would love to have your feedback. So my email is Mark R. Geis, and it's Mark M-A-R-K, the letter R and then G-E-I-S-E at Gmail.com. That is my email. Uh, or you can comment on on this post or really anything. However you want to get to me, whatever your feedback is, I would, I would love to hear it. I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of, of, this, uh, of this podcast coming back. Thank you very much.